Hello, this is Jacob, head of Thinks Labs. Welcome to quarter four, 2022 edition of Thinks Trends and Takeaways, the audio companion to Thinkscapes. Thinkscapes is a quarterly publication drawing from the cutting edge of information security research community, sorting the signal from the noise. For past editions or to learn more, check out our website at thinks.com TS. This issue focuses on content released, published, or presented since the publication of the quarter three, 2022 quarterly release. This quarter showed a decline in the number of conferences, talks, and blog posts as the holidays and the cancellation of the Chaos Computer Congress pushed many research releases into the new year. As a reminder, we would appreciate your help in catching any interesting work that may have fallen through the cracks. Any papers, presentations, or blog posts are welcome. Please send them to ts at thinks.com. This time we include talks drawn from just about 15 conferences and almost 2,000 blogs. As always, Thinks is happy to notify you and release a new issue. Sign up at our homepage, thinks.com slash TS. The themes covered in this issue are signature validation at scale, for better or worse. Papers in this theme explored cloud-scale signatures for verifying identity and software provenance. One talk discovered a number of weaknesses in the software underpinning SAML authentication, while the others focused on scalable ways to use signatures to verify code and software supply chains. Then there's modern post-exploitation. This theme covers work exploring post-exploitation on macOS in a TCC world, the process for discovering and abusing living-off-the-land binaries, and what living-off-the-land looks like on a modern macOS system. Finally, this theme wraps with a new automated vulnerability discovery tool in signed Windows drivers to bring your own escalation of privilege. Next, the forgotten legacy in today's systems. Research in this theme showcases how even in modern systems there can be ample legacy attack surface, including deprecated cryptography schemes and MSRPC security bypasses. This theme wraps up the paper on modern Web3 system that was vulnerable to a very legacy bug class, a powerful reminder to keep the basics covered while trying to innovate. As always, some work stood out as top-notch for inclusion, but did not fit into any of the aforementioned themes, so we include them as nifty sundries. This quarter, we see research into aviation security, generic WAF bypasses, and a clever way to detect and localize Wi-Fi spy cameras. Let's get started, shall we? The first theme is signature validation at scale, for better or worse. We start with Felix Wilhelm's Hacking the Cloud with SAML. Security Assertion Markup Language, or SAML, is the underlying process and protocol for allowing an identity provider to attest identity to a service provider. In a SAML session, the client acts as a go-between between the two providers. Originally designed for enterprise environments to support single sign-on where one identity store, for example, Active Directory, would support a client logging into multiple internal or external services. Modern cloud infrastructures change that, where a single service will support multiple or even custom identity providers in order to provide a seamless end-user experience. Since the client acts as a go-between, both types of providers need to accept inputs from any possible client, exposing the attack surface to anyone. This research explored not the protocols of security itself, but the exposed attack surface on the SAML servers. These services run complicated XML translations before they validate the identity of the signer, allowing for arbitrary messages to explore deep code paths in the XML and signature validation libraries. A number of vulnerabilities are detailed covering a number of CWE types, highlighting the risks across the ecosystem. We want to highlight that the use of SAML for both enterprise and cloud-style authentication scheme upends the assumptions on which the entities are trustworthy. To provide functionality for both schemes, each provider must operate under the assumption that all requests are untrusted, yet much of the software was written prior to these paradigm changes. Adding in the complexity of XML translations and digital signature schemes indicates this space will continue to be a popular spot for bugs with far-reaching consequences. 
Next is Announcing Guac, a great pairing with Salsa and S-Bomb by Brandon Lumidal. In this blog post, Google announced an open source project, Guac, or Graph for Understanding Artifact Composition. Using Guac, teams may be able to answer questions at three important stages of software supply chain security, proactive, preventative, and reactive. To understand something complex like the blast radius of a vulnerability, teams need to trace the relationship between a component and everything else in the portfolio. Guac aggregates and synthesizes software security metadata at scale and makes it meaningful and actionable. While this is not the research we typically feature, we wanted to cover it because one, we are hopeful looking at the aspirations of this project. Giving teams the ability to quickly answer questions about exposure and impact of vulnerability enables teams to rapidly work to remediate and recover from large supply chain issues. This project is more outcomes focused than SBOM or other tools, so we think it shows promise as a path forward. And two, teams may be getting tired and distracted by the am I affected by XYZ vulnerability question. Our hope is to see a tool like Walk help inform architectures and design, as well as guide incident response. The final research in this theme is We Sign Code Now by William Rudruff. This blog covers the SigStore project, which allows developers to tie short-lived certificates to their development accounts and sign code or other artifacts with those certificates. This reduces the risk of a certificate being exposed, while also storing a record of the human identity associated with a specific signature. This has been extended into CI-CD build systems, for example, GitHub Actions, to allow for machines to also sign their output and tie it to the official build systems versus an attacker's. We're excited because we see SigStore filling a gap with current software build materials, or SBOM systems, and that it ties software to developers who release it and even the CI-CD infrastructure that built it. This adds in a tighter link between the presence of an entry in an SBOM record with the actual code present. SBOM still must go further to encapsulate the build systems, their configuration, and even aspects of the resultant binaries in order to truly realize their claims. For our second theme, we move to modern post-exploitation. Starting with Saab et al.'s knockout win against TCC, 20 plus new ways to bypass your macOS privacy mechanisms. This work explores Apple's new transparency, consent, and control, or TCC restrictions in its macOS operating system. TCC provides a more fine-grained entitlement system to limit the data available to each application. For example, a photo editing application cannot access the user's email despite running from the same user context. This research looked for ways to bypass TCC as a post-exploitation step, since TCC protects user data even against a user with root privileges. They were able to find over 20 bypasses through loading plugins in Apple applications that had a number of entitlements, enabling inbuilt tracing and debugging logs, and even using Apple's backup and restore utility to create a copy of the file system without TCC. The work finishes with a review of changes made in macOS Ventura and how some of the fixes are not entirely comprehensive. We note that while TCC does give users more control over the data that applications can access, much like Microsoft's user account control, trying to add restrictions to a previously permissive environment is going to be difficult. There's a balancing act between inducing pop-up fatigue in users and closing these leaks. TCC will take a long time to become robust enough to protect against a malicious actor. Continuing with TCC research, we have Farming the Apple Orchards, Living Off the Land Techniques by Cedric Owens and Chris Ross. Living off the land is a post-exploitation technique to minimize or entirely eliminate the need to download and run third-party software onto a target system while continuing the attack campaign. Using OS default binaries, living off the land binaries or LOL bins, to replicate the needed features allows an attacker to avoid triggering alerts for suspicious file execution as LOL bins are typically signed and trusted by the OS vendor that publishes them. This research explored living off the land in Mac environments. Without running in a fully trusted TCC context, even with code execution, an attacker may not be able to access any user data. 
This research showed how to use existing OS features to bypass or circumvent the TCC protections by browsing data through the Spotlight Search database, injecting a payload into a legitimate application that will run within its more trusted TCC context. This work was interesting to us because living off the land has been a primarily Windows-focused pursuit due to the lack of inbuilt capabilities. As Windows becomes more feature-filled by default and other OS environments restrict the abilities of their built-in software, expect to see more research emphasis on non-Windows environments. Next, we have Lolbind, using Kaspersky Endpoint Security KES installer to execute arbitrary commands by Nazardine Benchurchali. As mentioned in the previous entry, Lolbins are binaries already trusted by the local operating system that can be used to camouflage their malicious activity. In this work, the author details an approach to finding ways to execute code from Kaspersky's installer. The author found that he could use the signed binaries extracted from kavremover.exe or cleanupapi.dll to execute arbitrary commands. In addition to the specifics, this post demonstrates a number of tools and a methodology that other researchers can use to find unexpected behavior in already trusted and existing applications. We can likely continue to see the trend of more application features being usurped to hide malicious activity. Wrapping up this theme, there's Popcorn, Popping Windows Kernel Drivers at Scale by Rajat Gupta et al. This research explored ways to automatically examine signed Windows drivers for a class of vulnerability commonly used to achieve escalation of privilege attacks. There are many signed drivers in the wild for almost every hardware device, and by using vulnerabilities in these drivers, malware are able to gain kernel access. The presented system, Popcorn, downloaded and extracted 5,000 driver binaries, then searched for paths between a user space call and one of three kernel functions that were commonly associated with an escalation of privilege attack. Of the 5,000 drivers, only 212 were compatible with Popcorn. Still, it identified 38 vulnerabilities, 31 of which were new, and all were manually verified as true positives. Popcorn showed a performant approach, averaging under 7 seconds per driver, to look for these deep and impactful vulnerabilities. This work highlights the trend of vulnerability research becoming increasingly automated for deeper bugs and binary-only targets. As more bug classes become codified as vulnerability definitions, it'll be harder for those types of issues to slip through automated analysis of code being published. We now move to our next theme, forgotten legacy in today's systems. We start with a double entry. James Forshaw with his RC is still considered harmful, and Tom Tavort with Kerberos's RC4 HMAC broken in practice, spoofing packs with MD5 collisions. Both researchers point out weaknesses within the Windows Kerberos implementation, which still allows for legacy protocols. In the first, the author developed two attacks that create a downgrade to RC4 MD4 encryption, resulting in elevation of privilege. The second paper outlines a method for using MD5 collisions to forge a privilege attribute certificate. This attack shows the reliance on MD5 hash function has not yet been fully eliminated from modern critical systems, and that the hash collision attacks can still be used as a part of a practical exploit. This research highlights that older legacy protocols continue to linger in critical systems. Challenges within organizations to support legacy software and authentication will continue to burden teams trying to secure their networks from these kinds of focused, well-planned exploits. Furthermore, ASN.1 parsing is difficult and has a history of vulnerabilities and exploitation. Until there are better models for recognizing and parsing network information, vulnerabilities will continue to crop up in both new software using ASN.1 and the legacy tail. Next, we move to Exploring Ancient Ruins to Find Modern Bugs, Discovering an O'Day in MSRPC Service by Ofer Harpaz and Steve Kupchik. This research explored the mechanics of and security behind Microsoft's RPC or MSRPC system. MSRPC dates back to the 1990s and still plays a vital role in some of their services and OS components. 
The researchers built a scanning pipeline that would look for PE files on a Windows system that registered RPC listener and try to identify the UUIDs associated with those interfaces. Then they looked for interfaces that used authentication but didn't perform a sensitive function so they would allow remote use. Once that interface was called, it would cache the security authentication context, allowing the attacker to call a more sensitive function without scrutiny expected. This is demonstrated by a remote attack that allows an attacker to map a file share they control to a remote victim system, then man-in-the-middle shared file access. Next, there's Decentralized Identity Attack Surface by Shakid Renner. This two-part blog series explored the use of the blockchain to root identity providers. Each implementation was examined on the axis of decentralization and implicit trust between a client and the node verifying signatures. In part two, the researchers showed a critical vulnerability in the underlying technology behind a Web3 identity provider called Sovereign. Sovereign is implemented in Python and is well-documented and nicely laid out. Despite that, the vulnerability discovered allowed an unauthenticated command injection into any Sovereign node. Even though Sovereign is a permission network, which means only specific nodes can create or validate transactions, the code validating the vulnerable target was not implemented. This vulnerability would have allowed for a complete takeover of the network and the infrastructure on which it ran. This work highlights that with any new complex distributed system, there are multiple aspects of security to explore. Much of the focus with blockchain-based systems has been on both the financial risks, for example, flash lending attacks, or the cryptographic schemes. This work highlights that the basics must not be forgotten. Additionally, the pace of development in this space that so highly rewards the first movers contributes to these types of vulnerabilities. Many of these projects are developed in modern, memory-safe languages by developers who haven't had experience with legacy C or C++ code bases and their associated security risks. There are more chances for simple things to be overlooked in this type of development. We wrap up with this episode's nifty sundries. First is Drone Authentication via Acoustic Fingerprint by Yufen Dao et al. This work explored identifying specific drones via an acoustic fingerprint. Eight DJI Mini 2 drones and multiple sets of spare propellers were combined to create 24 unique combinations that were recorded. Then multiple analyses were performed on different sample lengths with or without additional background noise and different ML model types to determine which were best identifying the drone and propeller combination. This was performed in both a closed world scenario in which all the drones were trained on and a more realistic open world where some drones were known and some were imposters. This work caught our eye because drone costs are dropping and the numbers of them in operation is rising. Questions of how to control airspace and access to private property are increasingly timely. This work shows how a warehouse could perform access control without storing secrets on the device. Even simply detecting the presence of a drone nearby can be coupled with network analysis to minimize fake Wi-Fi access point or other wireless attacks. Physically unclonable functions have been a field of study for many years in determining legitimacy of hardware. That this is being explored via different mediums is exciting and should offer many future benefits. Continuing in the aviation theme, there's On the Implications of Spoofing and Jamming Aviation Data Link Applications by Harshad Syathi et al. This work explored a wireless aviation protocol related to ADSB, but for issuing commands from air traffic control to aircraft. By positioning themselves carefully between a tower and a victim aircraft, they can transmit a command, as there's no authentication in ADSC and then jam over the acknowledgement so the air traffic control station doesn't realize there's an attack ongoing. Looking across the U.S. at various locations, the authors highlight areas where their jamming signals will overwhelm the aircrafts, even with multiple aircraft in the area. While there are manual fallbacks to voice in each crew's judgment, this work highlights technical approaches to improve security, namely adding authentication to the protocol and being able to detect jamming to automatically fail back to a safe channel. 
We highlight this because while the existence of and security issues in ADS-B are well known, this work shows similar issues with ADS-C with potentially higher impact. While there's fallback and humans are in the loop currently, with more autonomous aircraft, the risks here grow unless additional authentication logic is added. Next is Noam Moshi's JSON Security Off, abusing JSON-based SQL queries. The majority of this research explored exploiting a specific product's SQL injection vulnerability. However, when the researcher tried to exploit the cloud version, it was blocked by AWS's Web Application Firewall, or WAF. After exploring the WAF decisions on which requests to block or allow, it appeared that specific SQL operators were triggering the WAF to drop the request. At this point, the researcher started experimenting with other operators in SQL that may bypass the WAF, and discovered that modern database servers support JSON natively with new operators to simplify JSON comparisons. Using these new JSON operators bypassed not only the AWS WAF, but all large WAF vendors. The researcher developed a patch to SQL map and was able to trivially detect and exploit SQL injection in WAF-protected web applications. We note that it's always difficult for security mitigations to be added after, especially when these mitigations operate in the critical path of request performance. This work highlights the challenges of a bump-in-the-wire mitigation when trying to defend against arbitrary injection attacks in a complex and changing environment. Other attacks of this type are expected to catch WAF vendors unaware. Last, but certainly not least, is work by Jiang Young et al. with Are There Wireless Hidden Cameras Spying On Me? A recent bout of spy cameras discovered in Airbnbs and hotel rooms raised the question of how to detect this remote monitoring. In this work, the researchers explored monitoring encrypted Wi-Fi packets in the area being surveyed to determine if the sender was a camera, if it was filming the user, and where within the space it was located. Their work uses two key features to classify devices using a Wi-Fi network continuous streams of traffic, unlike other devices that may have periods of inactivity, and more traffic sent when the user in the environment was moving, which causes more keyframes to be sent. Building an Android app that would scan nearby wireless devices and walk through an environment with a camera allowed for detection of a device with over 97% accuracy. When the user is closer to the camera, more keyframes are needed, allowing the user to determine their proximity to the camera. This process worked across 20 different camera vendors on a network with non-camera devices using the network at the same time to add realism. We have two takeaways from this. First, while this research has a clear benefit for travelers who'd like to look for suspect devices in their private rooms, there are a number of other use cases this counter-surveillance capability offers. Further research would have to be done to explore how network segmenting may impact their accuracy, but it's conceivable this could be used to map out camera locations for many types of locations. Second, as mentioned in last quarter's Thinkscapes, there is significant amount of sensitive information present in just the packet size for video transmission despite encryption. The work previously featured explored LTE network traffic. Future work will likely determine those techniques would apply to these use cases as well. In conclusion, despite the scaling back of conferences this quarter, the quality of the selected work speaks for itself. Three themes were highlighted in this quarter's edition. Trials and tribulations of cloud-scale signature validation, what post-exploitation looks like in a more restrictive OS environment, and legacy protocols and bugs in fully up-to-date software. Next quarter, we'll likely see more content with the holidays behind us. Check back next quarter for insights into work that is both well-publicized as well as highlights that may have been missed. This show is made possible by Thinks Canary know when it matters. To learn more, check out canary.tools.